0: So securing the grid from cyber, and I'm pretty comfortable that we have uh, effective controls in place for that, but also on the physical security side. Our physical security department, uh, which we, we share an office suite with, we work very closely with, they deal with um, uh, encroachment of uh, homeless population. They deal with encroachment of drones. People are flying drones over substations and power plants. So, uh, And then it's just always your, your physical security issues, your trespass incidents and, uh, and
1: Yeah, stuff like that. Hi, and welcome to the Ian Weekly Show, and this is your emergency management podcast. This week, we are talking to Steve Kerr about emergency management and public utilities, specifically power companies. Power is one of those partners that sometimes we forget about until we need them. But I also want to recognize the linesmen out there that work in harsh and dangerous conditions every day. They risk their lives to keep the power on. And they truly are our first responders. We need to recognize them just as we do our partners in fire, law, and EMS. Hey, just to let you know, EM Student is coming back on sitchradio.com. And we are so happy to make this announcement. And we have some exciting news about EM Student. So tune in into our first refreshed episode coming soon. Now on to the interview. I'm excited to have Steve Kerr with me today and we're going to be talking about utility emergency management and he works for Colorado Springs Utilities and he is the emergency manager continuity manager. So Steve, welcome to Ian Weekly. Hey Todd, how are you? I'm I'm doing well, sir. So one of the things that we, you know, see when we have like events in the the world, earthquakes, fires, you know, whatnots, you know, tornadoes, hurricanes is the fact that we need to have um, utility companies coming in and, and really rebuilding us, and it's one of the major partners um, in emergency management. Um, so this is why we have you on the show today. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in emergency management.
0: Sure. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for having me. <clears throat> So my, my emergency management career goes back um, nearly 40 years. I started uh, doing emergency management when I was with uh, EMS in New York City, now part of the New York City Fire Department. was doing uh, uh, special operations, uh, mass casualty management, and uh, I took an interest in emergency management. Uh, from there, um, it was an easy uh, slide into New York City emergency management when Mayor Rudy Giuliani created the Office of Emergency Management in uh, in 1996, and I was asked to join the leadership team. And uh, as they say, the rest is rest is kind of history.
1: That's great. And uh, for those of you that have been listening, you know the, my my background is a little is, is upstate New York, so we chewed some of the same same dirt during those uh, during our time in the in the business. So. You moved from there, and then, then eventually you, you made your way out to Colorado, and you work in utilities. What's the what's the biggest challenge for utility emergency management compared to, say, municipal government emergency management?
0: So our job in utility emergency management is it is kind of interesting and also kind of fascinating because while our counterparts in community emergency management and my team works extremely uh, close with the El Paso County Office of Emergency Management. Uh, El Paso County, Colorado, and uh, the uh, Colorado Springs Office of Emergency Management. We serve the same masters. The community looks at the public as their their public, their constituency, and we look at them as our customer base. So that therein lies the nexus between community and utility emergency management. We're focused on sustaining. Utility services, uninterrupted utility services, all the time, and certainly during uh, during emergencies. And here in Colorado, the natural hazards that we deal with are wildfire, floods. Uh, we've had two presidentially declared flood disasters in my time here. Uh, we had a dare say a catastrophic windstorm two years ago, January 2017, where we lost 40,000 customers. So, so we deal with those kind of things, and that's how we work together. With the city. So while we're working to restore utility services, our team is supporting operations with restoration. We're working with the community emergency management that's standing up shelters and housing people and feeding them, et cetera.
1: So, a few of the major uh, events that I've worked during my time, uh, even when I was back in New York, um, all have kind of related around utilities at some point. We had the wildfires here in California where we have uh, transmission lines that burned up. And then back east, when I was a volunteer firefighter, we had a couple of ice storms, which knocked out power for for days. And you see groups of linemen coming in and doing great work and getting power back up. Now, do you guys coordinate that type of stuff as well uh, for Nationwide or for your area?
0: We do. We actually deployed uh, some assets, uh, including a member of my team, to to Florida uh, a year and a half ago for Hurricane Irma. We had uh, we had teams on the ground we had uh, a member of my team deployed with along with a team of 26 emergency managers from Colorado to support EOC operations wherever the state assigned them and they ended up in Monroe County and um, uh, it's Ken on my team was able to, as a career emergency manager, not only integrate well with with the local emergency management, but he worked with the utilities, the electric and water utilities. He he knew the language, he knew the secret handshake, so to speak, and he was able to really help develop that interaction and that coordination that's so well needed. And we do have, as as a municipal utility, we have um, mutual aid agreements with uh, utilities, uh, certainly throughout Colorado. And as a utility, in the, in the just as, as part of the industry, we do have mutual aid agreements uh, where we can deploy and bring in assets where needed. Most recently, this windstorm I mentioned, we requested mutual aid and we received uh, electric line crews to support that.
1: So walk me through the mutual aid that you guys do with the utilities. What does it look like? How does it work? And then how do you activate it? Just by way of
0: background, Colorado Springs Utilities is a municipal for service utility. Uh, we provide electricity uh, from generation uh, all the way to through delivery to, to to your account, meaning you know, transmission, distribution, et cetera. Uh, water, we own and operate uh 26 reservoirs across the state, and my team is responsible for emergency planning for those reservoirs. Uh so we provide drinking water to the city uh and parts of the region. Wastewater and natural gas. We don't produce natural gas; but we distribute natural gas. So mutual aid on any of those services uh, looks like a call in or a call out to our uh, our sister utility. So we work with a big investor-owned utility in Colorado Springs, uh, Excel Energy. My team and I are very close with their emergency management team and our electric operations folks are very close with their electric operations folks. It's literally just a phone call. So what my team will do, we'll support mutual aid with, uh, with logistics. We might help with setting up um, lodging, uh, staging area, certainly staging area and equipment and, but lodging, food, uh, and stuff like that. If we're requesting mutual aid, in typically we have a pretty big emergency going on in town in our enterprise command center, which would be the equivalent to an emergency operations center in, in other parlance, uh, it's activated. And our logistics section would be supporting that. Well,
1: that's kind of cool. And and so so you get this call, you say, hey, I, I need to send X amount of people. Do you guys have like a team that's set up for mutual aid? Like, the, I know I'm going to send these 10 people to... To respond or how, did, how does that decision get made on your part
0: it really is, it really depends what the need is so during the 2013 uh, flooding that was one of our that was the first presidentially declared disaster uh, and I had just started a, about a month before this we had um, significant flooding throughout Colorado and we had received a request from uh XL Energy to support mutual aid for disruption in gas services so our gas operations team at that time determined what was needed including the deployment of safety personnel to 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 because we're very big on safety so we'll deploy leadership um operational folks engineering folks and safety folks as needed and we'll uh, we'll work uh, just like we expect just like we would set up, you know, the logistic to support that, we have the same agreement. We would expect the same from Excel or, or any other utility that we respond to. Just like when we went to Florida, the state had taken care of the lodging and stuff like that.
1: That's great. So it's just kind of run like any other mutual aid system then, but just uh, with utilities. It, it, it
0: really is. And uh, we have mutual aid agreements, uh, the written mutual aid agreements with uh, the American Gas Association, the American Water Works Association. We're a member of something called CoWarn. Many states have what's called Warns or Water Agency Response Network. So in Colorado, it's called CoWarn for Colorado, CO. In fact, we as an organization, one of our water one of our general managers in water was chair for a few years and uh, we have signatories across the state that are part of this. So if we get a request for uh, here, here's a perfect example. We got a request a couple of years ago from a small water utility in the Pikes Peak region where they were losing X number of gallons of water every day and they needed leak search crews. And uh, we analyzed the request. That this request, you go into a portal, you put in the request, you identify what your need is, and water utilities from the, from throughout the state determine where they want to respond. Well, this was pretty close to our, Community. So, our uh, we made a decision as an organization to support this. So, folks in our water construction department were able to respond and provide leak search capabilities. They and they found the, they found the leak and were able to uh, to make that fix.
1: That's strong work, right there. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it really is awesome. It's it's re- you know coming out of state and em- and community and private sector emergency management. The work that we do in, in a utility, especially a major force service utility, for a population of uh, five hundred thousand, and uh, in a beautiful part of the world, is really fascinating.
1: You know, we we always talk about the first responders as EMS, fire, police, and I think sometimes we forget about the the linemen that are out there, and they are putting their lives on, at risk when they're when they're giving us utilities back, um, and then on a daily basis. So I just want to right now, just you know. Tell all the linemen out there that uh, I do appreciate what they do, and and I really think that you guys are all part of the team. So just want to kind of put I, that out there right now. I
0: appreciate that, and having come in, and having been in the uh, in public safety, in the in the fire and EMS world, and the emergency management world, I kind of say utility is kind of like uh, if you you know the term is usually used EMS is third service. I kind of say utility is kind of like fourth service because quite frankly, without Without the lifeline services that utilities provide, especially electric and water utilities, there really is nothing else. Not, not in contemporary American society. So, uh, yes, a- absolutely. And I could tell you that, um, working, working up on a pole or working in a ditch on the water or gas side requires special training, requires a certain skill set and requires a, um, a, a certain wherewithal that allows you to, to understand what the need is when you're doing that even during uh times of significant weather events snow s- uh, severe convective weather it's really tough stuff
1: you know there there are very few things that scare me in the world I, i've been through a lot of stuff in my life but electricity is one of them that just really kind of i don't want to mess with and so those those men and women that climb those poles and and have to go into those dishes uh, like i said that that's some that's some hard work right there and they have some internal fortitude that some people probably don't really have. So that's for sure. And you know, it's, it's
0: competitive. The uh, we're hosting here in Colorado Springs uh, in March, the uh, American public power association, the lineman's rodeo, where um, between three and 4,000 linemen from across the country are going to come and compete. We're actually going to install utility poles uh, on the west side of town in one of our park areas. And this is a pretty big event for us. We're very proud to be hosting this. And and as you say, not only does it require a certain set of skill set and training, they love to compete. I think you're right when you say it's just like fire and EMS. You know how proud firefighters are, EMS and police officers are. Our linemen are just as proud as what they do. And and we're really proud to be hosting. And I'm even uh, more proud to say that my team has been asked to lead the uh, the planning for this. And one of my team members is really taking the lead and doing an awesome job of getting this set up.
1: Well, good luck to those guys out there that are going to be participating in that. That's, that's really kind of exciting for them. And yeah, you're right. And it's always nice to to see competition and a good competition, healthy stuff right there and and, and show your skills. I want to change direction here a little bit. You talked about power poles and that's one of the conversations we've been having here in California specifically associated with the wind events that are starting some of the, uh, the fires. And there's a movement now in California Right now, I understand it. and I think I'm on board with it. I haven't really thought out the whole entire process yet of taking power poles and burying the cables or somehow or another fortifying those power poles. What do you think of that move? Well, you know,
0: Colorado Springs is a growth city. And I'm going back probably 40 years now to say a decision was made here by leadership in this organization many years ago to bury infrastructure as the city grew. And it's interesting when we say that, because when we had that windstorm I mentioned earlier, the outages were pretty much, not pretty much, the outages were centered in the area where we still have overhead distribution because it was it was uh, the uh, the old infrastructure. And we had very few outages, if any, in areas where we've built infrastructure, as, so as Colorado Springs has grown to the north and to the northwest and northeast, it's all been buried. So I certainly think it's a good idea, but uh, as, a, as a measure of mitigation. But there's certainly a cost there, and utilities will have to weigh, you know, the cost benefit against, uh, you know, who's really paying for that? Are they just going to eat that expense? Do they pass the expense off to the customer? So it's a, it's, it's a challenge to answer.
1: When I talked to Brock Long back in January, um, he, he really talked about the fact that there's monies that are sitting on the table because emergency managers don't know it's there. And um, he was talking somewhere like around $8 billion worth of mitigation funds. Could we use some of those monies to offset the cost of burying utilities?
0: You know that's an interesting question because most utilities, are, or most of your larger electric utilities, are investor-owned utilities, not municipal utilities such as we are, and uh, don't have uh, access to federal funds even during a declared disaster. You know their insurance is supposed to cover it. Uh, so it's it's a it's a really good question that deserves further analysis. I mean I, I certainly would support the idea, and we're al- we're already doing that as as I mentioned, but. To do it retrospectively and to have the federal government pay for it, I think that's a, that may be actually something that needs to be analyzed in, in the code of federal regulations forty-four, or maybe even needs to be answered by Congress. The money just sitting there doesn't mean it could just be used by private by private organizations.
1: And now I understand that, and and, and that's true. I, I just looking at this as the overall picture is, as a public safety issue, especially in California or even back in New York, for that matter, when we have those ice storms and we're out without power for, for weeks, you know, Something that if we can stop that from occurring, that there's life safety issues associated with it. So anyway, that's just me talking and thinking. So that's kind of the way my my brain works sometimes. (laughs) You know, Brock would have to
0: answer this or his recovery mitigation folks. But as I recall, um, there is some opportunity for organizations that provide government-like services. And I think this is where hospitals started to benefit from from remuneration for federal disaster funds over, over the past few years. So I, I, I'm not sure that's been answered on the utility side and it's, it should be a, an open question.
1: So what can we as emergency managers do better to build the relationship and or understand the role of utilities in a disaster?
0: Well, fortunately for, for the fire department, police department, emergency management agencies here in Colorado Springs, they have one utility. Uh, we provide, as I mentioned, electric, gas, water, and wastewater services. And our relationship, and, and you know, it may be because we're a mid-sized city. It also may be just because people are just awesome here. And we've experienced catastrophe. In 2012, the year before I started here, the Waldo Canyon Fire burned close to 20,000 acres. We lost 348 homes in Colorado Springs on the west side of town, and it resulted in two deaths and uh, significant loss of uh, utility infrastructure. Um, so this city uh, has been visited by disaster. Uh, the year after that, we had the 2013 flooding. And then two years later, we had another presidentially declared flood event. So we've learned how important it is to work together the other reason I think that's easy for us is that I've been given a wonderful opportunity to recruit and re, uh, retain significant emergency management talent. So uh, the folks that work for me have community emergency management experience, and they're able to bridge that gap fairly easily. So my point is, to get, to get the answer to your question, is emergency managers should seek out their utilities uh maybe if they have multiple utilities and and unfortunately it's like that you will have one organization providing electric one providing gas water wastewater et etc performing uh or creating sort of an infrastructure council or uh, a, a utility uh, a utility council and getting everybody at the table and just just establishing those relationships you know i've been saying this for almost 40 years the the worst time to exchange a business card is meeting someone the first time at a command post or in an EOC. So now's the time to seek out your utilities. Many of them have emergency managers, your larger utilities certainly, where they don't, they'll have somebody perhaps in safety or security
1: that you could establish a relationship with. Steve, what is your biggest challenge? Hey, let's just take about uh, 60 seconds here and listen to our sponsors. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST... We're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help, get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication. Even when networks are down, augmented reality and real time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. I know that choosing what conference to attend can be hard. There's so many of them out there, right? Well, I think that if you miss the EMLC, that's the Emergency Management Leaders Conference, you're going to uh, just kind of be a tad bummed out. This event is great because it's only two days. It's May 29th and the 30th. It's in one room. You have access to the speakers and to the special guests and it's second to none. You know, it's one of those things where you get to actually engage with people and it's small enough to where you can't really hide. So join me at the EMLC, the Emergency Management Leaders Conference in Phoenix, Arizona on May 29th and 30th. So for more details, go to emlc.us and register today. Hey, welcome back from listening to the sponsors really quick. Without them, we couldn't do what we're doing here. So please reach out to them and tell them that Ian Weekly sent you. Now back to the interview. Steve, what is your biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge is
0: worrying about is worrying about the sustainability of of services to our customers and also that I'm I'm going to say two things and life safety from a from another perspective which we haven't really spoken about. So it's a challenge for my team to understand the mechanical and engineering aspects of our services so we can support them. So when when we get a call and say A particular substation is out, and we have dozens of electric substations throughout the city, but a number of them are critical where they interconnect us to the grid. It's it's important for my team to understand what that means so we can start the contingency or continuity planning process. But we're also responsible for emergency planning around our dams. And we're very concerned. Well, Our dams are extremely safe. Every one of our dams are rated by the State Dam Safety Office as at the highest level of safety. We worry about them. And uh, we worry about making sure that we have the ability to make notifications if we have an emergency at a dam. And while it's the responsibility of the local emergency managers to have those evacuation plans, I worry about that. Because if one of our dams causes damage or, or, or injuries, it's, it's on us. So we work with our community emergency managers as far out as Eagle County, which is 200 miles from Colorado Springs. So we have a major reservoir to make sure uh, that they have emergency notification capabilities and evacuation plans in place that would be effective. So those are kind of like the, the high end things that I, I kind of worry about.
1: How often do you guys reach out to your community partners? Is it like a monthly basis or as needed? How does that work for you?
0: Well, I, I dare say kind of daily as needed. Um, our community, the community emergency managers here, um, we're very close with, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an odd question because we're just always on the phone with them. So, but we do have formal meetings. Uh, the, the city policy group meet, meets bi monthly and, uh, uh, our leadership and uh, mem- myself and uh, members of my team participate in that. We meet with the fire chief, police chief, emergency management director, um, heads of other agencies. And then at, at, at more of an emergency management level, my team and I meet with the city emergency management folks uh, fairly regularly and just sort of like exchanging ideas and, hey, what we're doing, what are you doing? Uh, and there's also um, what we call an emergency management collaborative in the Pikes Peak region. That was started just around the time I came here by the city emergency management director. And that's grown to about 70 emergency management representatives uh, from um, city emergency management, county emergency management utilities, which is us. Um, All the universities, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs has an emergency manager, Uh, Colorado College has a public safety director that does emergency management. All the five military installations in town uh, send their emergency managers to this. State Homeland Security and Emergency Management attend this thing. So it's it's really become um, a really well-oiled machine. Uh, also, federal Homeland Security attends as well, the critical in- infrastructure folks. Uh, so we're really pretty tight down here. I got to tell you, having done emergency management in a few different places in the U.S., this is really a very gratifying place to work because people do network and work really well together. It really
1: is a phone call. Yeah. I'm blessed to have that same, that same working relationship in in uh, Orange County, California, because we play really well together in the Sandbags, as I like to say, and you're right. When you're talking about exchanging your business cards, you always want to do it at the over coffee instead of over the back of the patrol car. You got it. Absolutely. So kind of moving on here, and talking a little bit about security, and then I know you do continuity as well, but when you're working with like the securing the grid type stuff, what are the challenges
0: there? Well, you know, I, I think our biggest threat to, and, and not specific to the grid, but I think our biggest contemporary threat is cyber right now. I think we just need to look at the, these ransomware attacks, of which we had a major ransomware attack in Colorado in 2018. Where our, our State Department of Transportation suffered uh, the consequences of a ransomware attack over over a series of weeks, to the point that the the governor declared a state of emergency and activated the EOC to to manage this. And uh, we have a really solid State Emergency Management Director that really led the state through through recovery. So we've looked at that pretty closely, and we we've taken that we're taking that really seriously as far as continuity planning goes uh, in 2019. So securing the grid from cyber, and I'm pretty comfortable that we have uh, effective controls in place for that, but also on the physical security side. Our physical security department, uh, which we, we share an office suite with, we work very closely with, they deal with um, uh, encroachment of uh, homeless population. They deal with encroachment of drones. People are flying drones over substations and power plants. So, uh, And then it's just always your, your physical security issues, your trespass incidents, and uh, and Yeah, stuff like that.
1: I remember a few years ago here in California, somebody was driving around throwing um, acid bombs um, into some of the substations. And that was when we really started looking at securing and what that means with the substations and and what the impact on that was. And so that was my first look into what it really means to look at security for grids. And and, um, again, that's a a job that I don't think that I I would want to tackle right now, but you guys, I think, and when I say you guys, I'm talking about all of the uh, uh, utilities. For for the most part, are, are have a pretty good handle on it, and, and I do commend you guys for for working quickly and strongly on that area.
0: Well, you know, California produced the Metcalf incident that the 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 industry, not just in the United States but abroad, took notice of. Where uh, in April, I believe it was 2013. Pacific Gas and Electric suffered an attack at their Metcalf substation, which is in, in, in California. And, uh, there were electric cables cut in a, uh, in a manhole that led to, uh, high-powered rifle attack on the substation. Power never really was lost or was lost for any great period of time, but it resulted in an environmental incident because a lot of the substation, uh, cooling oil ended up leaking. So uh, the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI jointly uh, with Ph- PG&E did a national roadshow, show and was fortunate enough to attend one of those briefings. And so the industry took note of that. And uh, we've worked collectively uh, as an industry to strengthen our security around our substations, et cetera. We also have uh, regulations to follow under uh, what's called NERC, the North American Electrical Reliability Corporation, which is a part of the U.S. Department of Energy. So we have NERC NERC standards to comply with with regard to security. Probably should leave it at that.
1: That's a good spot to leave it. All right, I'm going to ask another kind of uh, question that's going to might be a little uh, long to answer. Two things. We had two issues that happened in the last few years. We had the Northeast power outage with the Cascading event, and then we had the outage in, in the Western United States where, where a cascading event started in Arizona. What can you we do to reduce a cascading power outage?
0: Well, I, I think to some extent that started after the, the, you're talking about the 2003 Northeast power outage, right, that started in like Ohio went up into Canada. So th- th- that gave birth to what I just described, NERC, the North American Reliability Corporation. So there are there are standards that have put in place now for what's called the BES, the Bulk Electric System, uh, and that uh, and 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 we certainly we we generate, transmit, and distribute electricity. So we're we're responsible to comply with those standards as well. So we, so we do that. And since 2003, the SCADA systems have matured and the interaction between electric utilities and protocols between the electric utilities matured. You know, we have what's called spinning reserve. So if a, if a, if a utility in our, let me call it a mutual aid region, which would be Southern Colorado experiences an outage, we're responsible to compensate for some of that loss. Within the electric grid, within the grid itself, because it is an interconnected thing we 're spinning extra electric to compensate for a dip and and our next closest largest power plant is is the regulation so and other power plants are prepared to to support us so so since these major outages you 're talking about, there are programs that have that have been put in place to compensate for that
1: outstanding before I let you get going, I got a couple more questions to ask you so one is what book? books or publications do you recommend to somebody in emergency management
0: that's a great question and i'm gonna i'm gonna give you two books every emergency manager in the united states has absolutely has to read future crimes by mark goodman and what is future crimes future crimes is a book by an fbi futurist who provides in plain english Uh, an analysis of today's cyber security environment. If you want to learn about the dark web, if you want to learn about sock puppets, and if you want to learn about ransomware attacks and the abuse of big data and where your information is going, when you log into your Gmail or Yahoo or whatever free internet-based email you're using, you need to read that. And I think emergency managers are so focused on their local hazards, meaning their natural hazards, wildfire, flood, blizzard, ice storms, that I just don't feel that we're giving enough attention to cyber as an industry. A cyber attack will bring a community to its needs. Our Colorado DOT attack I talked about and the city of Atlanta, uh, last year as well was hit and it was hit by the same, same uh, malware variant. So it, it was, it, it's out there. These cases should be studied. Future crimes. The other one is Moment of Truth by um, uh, a friend and colleague in emergency management in New York, Kelly McKinney. Kelly tells this a story, almost written like a novel, uh, about um, emergency management in the United States and where the failures are in our ability to respond to catastrophic events in a way that we, as we probably should in a first world nation such as the U S. So, and so those two books I think should be first line reading for every emergency manager in 2019.
1: And moment of truth actually made the top 10 books that an emergency manager, uh, should have, uh, for the, uh, for 2018. So that was kind of, that's a good book. And, um, I read it. it is outstanding and I love the way he, uh, he makes it a story but it has lessons in there for us as emergency managers, and then also uh, is able to bring home what it is to be involved in some of the incidents. So that was a really well written book.
0: It really was. And uh, yeah, and uh, as a little plug, Kelly will be providing the keynote address at the Colorado State Emergency Management Conference. He'll be doing the opening keynote. So uh, we're very fortunate that Kelly agreed to come uh, to our conference this year.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's a, that's a really, uh, that's, that's great. And, you know, we are trying to get Kelly, Kelly and I have been working on trying to get him on the show, just uh, trying to work out our schedule. So hopefully in the future, or if you guys are listening to this uh, after he's on there, uh, check out his episode because he will be on the on the show shortly. <laughs> all right. Sure. If you had the opportunity to talk to all the emergency managers in the United States at one time, or the world for that matter, what would you tell them?
0: I would tell them a couple of things. I would tell them, Dude, I get it. I know how hard it is to work within the political environment to to be an emergency manager, navigating the politics, the budgets, community culture. You know, before... Katrina, emergency management was not really on the political radar. It wasn't until Katrina that we started to see politicians take take note of emergency management. You know, though all the changes after 9-11 that President Bush made uh, with the creation of Homeland Security and splitting FEMA apart, and stuff like that, were not necessarily because of failures in emergency management. Katrina saw many failures in emergency management, so I'd say, I'd say, I get it, stay the course, um, develop a program, promote the program, and, and work so hard to get the ear of your leadership, whether it's executive leadership in an organization like mine or community political uh, leadership. And the other thing is, you know, this may come out of Kelly's book, you need to have great imagination. You have to imagine the worst that can happen and you need to plan for it. You need to plan for those unanticipated, unexpected events. Because if you live in a place like Colorado, you know you're getting wildfires. You'll plan for that. If you live in a place like upstate New York, you're going to get ice storms. You're going to plan for that. I'm going to get ice storms in Colorado. Not like they do on the East Coast. If you live on a coastal area on the East Coast, certainly you're going to get hurricanes. You have to imagine what you have not thought of yet and plan for that. And for me, I think in 2019, that's going to be cyber. I think cyber is going to continue to be a a threat that emergency managers need to focus on and have uh, capability, continuity plans to respond to.
1: Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure having you on the show.
0: I appreciate it, Todd, appreciate the invitation and uh, look forward to working with you more in the future.